Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. As a manager, you want people to feel that you see their essential goodness as a human being so that they have the strength and courage to talk openly about their mistakes and shortcomings with you. That's really all it comes down to. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. When someone is emotionally invested in an idea or a group, it's almost impossible to persuade them to question their beliefs, even if you provide factual information that really should cause them to question those beliefs. Why? It challenges their identity, and as a result, they feel shame. So as we discussed in the last episode, people distort reality to protect themselves and their identity, and you can see this playing out every single day, especially online, in the increasingly divided political climate in the U.S. So today we examine this phenomenon, how it contributes to shame, and what you can do to prevent it from creeping into your life. This four-part series is an excerpt from my online course, Accountability, Metrics, Money, and Shame, which is free for Clear and Open members. And listen up. We've got a brand new live course starting January 10th, 2019, and it's a good one, so I don't want you to miss out. It's called Managing with Inquiry, Create Powerful Change Through Radical Acceptance. If you've tried on the teachings of Clear and Open even just a tiny bit, you already know the real power is not in doing, but in undoing. In this new 11-week course, I'll be teaching you how to use the power of questioning yourself to create radical change. When you have the guts to look in the mirror, I mean really, really look, you can completely undo the limiting beliefs, negative patterns, and untrue but destructive assumptions that are holding you back, and fast. I'm extra excited about this new course because I'm changing things up a bit and making this one a very hands-on workshop. You're going to get the kind of attention usually only my one-on-one clients get at a fraction of the cost. Each week, I'll work with people individually toward the benefit of the whole group. It's a great way to learn. And you're going to learn how to use inquiry with others so you can uncover the power of your colleagues and employees as well. It really does work. I'm predicting this will be the most powerful course I've ever taught because of the results I've seen in trying this model with my clients and certainly with myself. You're going to learn how to free up energy, time, and focus by being more in reality than you've ever realized and less in stress, anxiety, and overwhelm that you're going to learn you've been making up. Imagine a life where whenever you feel stressed out or upset, you know you're just a few deep questions away from it all disappearing. If that's something you desire, then this course is for you. Find out more at clearandopen.com slash inquiry. That's clearandopen.com slash inquiry. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. The backfire effect. You've probably, many of you heard me talk about this before. Studied it. Uh, I think it was University of Minnesota in 2005. They did a study showing negative information about Republicans to Democrats and negative information facts about the inverse. I forget which one I started with. Democrats to Republicans and Republicans to Democrats. And so they gave them negative factual information about their party. 
And then they measured at the end of the interview somehow what it did to their beliefs and loyalty to the party. Overwhelmingly, it caused people to double down on their loyalty to the party. This is called the backfire effect. When someone is emotionally invested in something, negative factual information will not do what it's ought to do, which at the very least should cause the person to question some of their beliefs. Doesn't do that. Why? You all know why now. You go, shame, one word. Now, can you connect the dots? What happens? What happens when a Democrat, for example, is exposed to negative factual information about their party? What goes on in them? It challenges their identity. Yes. They say to themselves, if this is true, then what? I'm not who I thought I was. Yep. Then who am I? Yes. And so that's sort of the existential energetic part of it. And, and that, that's, I'd say, about one half of it. And the other half is more specific to shame. That's the emotional part that goes with the energetic, sort of a yin-yang thing. So it threatens their identity. Ah, but I identify as a Democrat. And, and I have, now I have to grip my identity harder so that I don't lose it. And I identified with these people. And now you're telling me these people did some bad things. And that makes me feel I'm bad. Right. It's the same reason why, you know, someone's professional sports team, right? We, that's my team. When they lose, the, the fan feels bad. Why? They didn't play the game. They had nothing to do with the outcome of that game. Zero. But when the game, when the team wins, they feel good. Yay. We won. No, they won. <laughs> but I'm glad you're feeling good. Ah, uh, we lost. No, they lost. But I'm sorry you're feeling bad. You've hitched your wagon to that. You've made up that their winning or losing affects you emotionally. You made that up. You created that all by yourself. All right. When they win, you'll feel good. When they lose, you'll feel bad. I hope you're okay with that. You hope you pick a winning team. Because <laughs> it's all made up. That's fine. You're enjoying that. It would be nice if you knew it was all made up. But... <laughs> I remember about five years ago having that negative emotional response when when the my home team Philadelphia Eagles were losing a lot, mm-hmm. and I decided I didn't I didn't want to feel that way anymore. So I basically swore off. <laughs> Good for you. And for about four or five years, when they started winning this year, and I eventually won the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl was the first Eagles game that I watched in five years, uh-huh. and I I. Jump back in when it was good. And, and, and there's certainly, you know, everything has some truth to it, right? So getting to see, and Eagles had never won a Super Bowl before, right? Right. So there's certainly, there's an essential objective like, wow, this is so exciting for them, you know, to, to witness that. And like, that's going to feel good, just like watching a movie about, you know, someone who's down and out and then succeeds in the end. Like, it's inspiring. So it's not like it's all, you know, made up. There's some truth to it. It's just, you know, when people who are like painting their faces and like, you know, ignoring their family members because they're going to every game and see, that's what I'm saying. That's where it starts to get kind of gnarly, as we would say in white. And the Eagles Super Bowl win had some great inspiration stuff in it because the backup quarterback helped. It took him to the Super Bowl. Totally. 
for games and won it and with a couple yeah. of great plays. So Absolutely. Really- yeah, it was it was for for sure a great story. So But it wasn't me that did it. It was them. <laughs> right. So right. So what's true is like you can watch this and go, wow, this is so cool. I get inspired and excited by watching these other people do this thing, but not to go into the made-up territory of we want. Because then that starts to be a substitute. So with the backfire effect, and that's what I was talking about, the backfire effect exists exactly for shame. So if you were to take, like, say, I think it was like 70 or 80% of the people who succumb to the backfire effect and would defend, double down on their beliefs uh, and not admit or consider any of the negative information, what you would see, I would predict, be a cool study to do, is you took those 80%, versus the other 20%, you would see that the 20% who didn't backfire had a greater level of shame resilience, right? Because if you have shame resilience and someone says, hey, X, Y, and Z is true about your party, it wouldn't trigger the, oh no, I've been wrong all along. What? Maybe I'm not a Democrat like I thought and my parents are Democrats and well, if I were a Republican, I mean, that would just destroy our relationship and I'd feel terrible. And all that happens in this instant, unconsciously. And if you have shame resilience, I would argue usually shame resilience happens because there's a sense of consciousness because you actually see it. You'd be able to see, oh, well, that's just a bunch of story. None of that's actually happened yet. I'm actually really curious to know what's true about my party. This is something I want to look into. And I don't care how it threatens my identity because if this is true, maybe I want to become an independent or maybe I'll become a Republican. I want to know the truth. I want to know the facts. That's what someone with shame resilience can do. Someone without shame resilience has to glom on to their own identity and defend it for your life and make the other person wrong, like Donald Trump does with Saturday Night Live. Uh, another one, Dunning-Kruger effect, right? The Dunning-Kruger effect is the fascinating study and phenomenon that shows that people of low abilities in whatever skill set it is, what, what, the people with low abilities in something, as a vast majority, tend to overestimate themselves. So what explains that People of low abilities tend to overestimate themselves. You already know. Just connect the dots. It's shame. Shame. They're ashamed of the, their low ability. And the, the only way to ease that shame pain because they don't understand it is to pretend that they're better at it than they are. Yes, exactly. In order to not feel that shame. And, and do you see how it, it, it explains the tests? Beautifully, right? If someone takes a test on the way they do those studies is they give someone a test about something in content, you know, medical knowledge or legal knowledge or, you know, custodial knowledge could be anything. And then they ask them how well they think they did on the test before the subject knows the grade. And what happens is the people who do well tend to estimate that they do pretty well, usually a little bit below how well they do. And the people who do okay in the middle tend to judge themselves as doing kind of okay. But the people who do really badly tend to judge themselves higher than the people who did really well on the test. See? So the lower the ability, the more the false confidence. The lower the ability, the more shame stimulus 
therefore the greater the need to push back and defend against the shame feeling. Therefore, the more out of reality they are. Right? This is what happens when you catch an employee doing something really incompetent and they're spending so much time defending themselves and their actions, you can't even find out what really happened. Right? This is an, this happens a, probably a billion times a day in our world where somebody screws up and the boss or a peer goes, Hey, what happened with that so and so? Oh, well, I was really busy. Oh, I just, well, no, no, I'm just asking what happened. Well, no, 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 right? All of that. That's shame defense. So now that you see that shame is everywhere at all times, uh, as powerful and, and, uh, and uh, irrefutable as life itself, the question you're maybe asking is, okay, what on earth do I do about it? Right? So the most important thing to do is to just have it on your mind all the time. That act that shame is in every human being to varying degrees until they've done a whole lot of emotional homework. And even then it's still there. Shame resilience doesn't mean shame elimination. It just means that the person's more likely to not fuse to a shame response uh, than not, not become the shame or the defense of it. So it's just always there. So as a manager, you want people to feel that you see their essential goodness as a human being so that they have the strength and courage to talk openly about their mistakes and shortcomings with you. That's really all it comes down to. You want them to experience that you experience that they're good at at the essential, existential, personal level. And that whatever mistake they make doesn't have anything to do with their goodness as a person. So, for example, saying, you idiot, don't you know how to wash dishes? That's going to stimulate a shame response because you call them an idiot. But if you say, hey, I see you're working really hard and I know it was a super busy day, but did you notice some of these dishes didn't come out so clean? Right? You're supporting them at the level of being. You're a good person. And there's a million ways you can transmit that you're a good person vibe. That a mature person, by the way, doesn't need. Doesn't need those kinds of strokes. This seems somewhat analogous to empathy. Yes. And sometimes what you're describing sometimes is, I think, is is described as creating a safe space. Yes. And in some instances in the past, I think you poo-poo the idea of taking safe the idea of safe space to an extreme that is not appropriate. Yeah, I don't like the safe space thing. That's a therapeutic term, and it's giving people too much support, in my opinion. Reality isn't safe. Work isn't safe. You mean it's it's alleging that? Yeah, it's the safe the the safe space idea of like total safety and total acceptance and whatever you did we can talk about it that's not work appropriate that's therapy 
I would say in work, you could create a safer space. It's a fine distinction, but it's just, it leads into this unconditional love kind of territory thing, which is just not work appropriate. It's like, because it, at work, you can be like, hey, I support you as a person unconditionally. You're fired. <laughs> because in the work world, you don't get to keep your job if you're not competent. But that makes me feel unsafe, you see. It's like you can't protect the employee from the risk of being fired. The work environment's never going to be that safe, nor should it be. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.